0: Whatever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, cigar heard, here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley, a long three, he got it, he got it! Into Booker, here's the three. Tuesday. in! Oliver, Sir Charles, and he flies in for a wham, bang, bang! Bravo time!
1: Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less Podcast. This is a show about the NBA with the Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley. I am one of your hosts, your other host. His name is David Nash and he joins me right now. David, it's been a while. How are you doing?
2: It's been uh, over a week, Max. We're not we're not used to this, but uh, enough time for you to recover from your trip to Vegas.
1: Yeah, it it took a little while. Uh, Speaking of that, we have someone on here today, our first ever guest who also was in Vegas. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know who he is. He writes and podcasts for the Empire of the Suns blog on azsports.com. You hear him occasionally, more frequently now, thank God, on 98.7, the local radio station. He is the unofficial president of Suns Twitter. His name is Kellen Olson. Kellen, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Dude, that title is ridiculous. Don't do that to me. You command on Twitter. God, who would be like my cabinet? Oh, you got to have uh, Zimmerman, right? Yeah, that would be that would be nuts. But that is far too kind. Thanks, guys. I'm uh, happy to be your first official guest. I wouldn't have it any other way, from my perspective. Yeah, you're the perfect guy to start us off.
1: So today we're going to talk about the summer league. Obviously, it just ended. The Suns went four and one. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about their performance. More about the individual players. Talk about our impressions. Talk about you know, how we see that portending towards the future. But before we get into that, we're going to do what we always do. David is going to give us a little piece of Suns history in the Did You Know segment. David.
2: Thanks, Max. Max and Callan, did you know the NBA has been going to Vegas for Summer League since 2004? Uh, Back then, it was just six teams, Boston, Cleveland, Denver, Orlando, Washington, and of course, the Phoenix Suns. The 2004 Suns roster was headlined by a couple of guards, uh, Leandro Barbosa and Casey Jacobson. And Phoenix actually went and started 3-0 again with wins against the Wizards, Cavs, and Magic uh, before actually heading to the Rocky Mountain Review for more games. Uh, Phoenix went up against Dwight Howard in 2004, who had 12-15 with nine turnovers. And obviously, with Ayton playing this summer, it got, kind of got me thinking. Scrolling through the uh, last 13 years of Phoenix Suns Vegas rosters, there's not a lot of high-profile big men who suited up for the Suns. Uh, here's your starting centers over the years. Machek Lampy in 04, Brandon Kurtz in 05, Pop Sow in 07, Robin Lopez in 08 and 09, Gani Lowell in 10, Markeith Morris in twelve and thirteen, Miles Plumley in fourteen, Alex Len in fifteen, big sauce Williams in sixteen, and Dragon Bender in seventeen. Pretty depressing, right? It's not great. It's not great. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. You may have noticed I missed two years in there though. Two thousand eleven was the first. Can either of you tell me why that might have been?
0: Oh, uh, I shouldn't know this answer, I guess, Uh, but I definitely don't. And this is why you're presenting this information
2: to me, David. (laughs) It always happens to me, too. David, just tell us. There was a lockout, of course, and (laughs) uh, Summer League did not happen in 2011. Uh, But the second was 2006, where the Suns started maybe their biggest star at center in Vegas Summer League history. I'll throw it out to you both again. Can you tell me who that might have been? What year are we talking? We're talking 06, but it's a little bit of a trick question too. Is this the Marcus Banks year? It's maybe the Marcus Banks year actually, but we're, we're, we're looking for the starting center in the lineup.
0: Oh, I thought you were talking like the star player because I know he had like that really high performance. Uh, 06. Yeah, didn't he have like 40 points? That's post-Soccolitis, yeah. Um, that's like mid, that's mid-Nash era.
2: It is, it is mid-Nash here. You're on to something there, Max. Oh, man. I don't know. What, what is it? It was Amari Stoudemire. Oh, they played him oh in that league? Oh, my late? God. So, Amari was returning after microfacture surgery and only three games in 05. So, he chose to play Summer League, uh, despite essentially being a four-year NBA pro.
1: I don't remember that at all.
2: How did he fare? He, uh... He lost two or three games, uh, but stat averaged 20.6 points. But he did have one game with only one rebound and another with eight turnovers. Guys, any guesses? And this is a little bit of a trick question again, so so keep summer league rules in the back of your mind. But how many fouls do you reckon Amari racked up in those three games? 24. (laughs) I'll take the under, but slightly under. Callan is like a really quick Googler, just for anyone listening, and 24 <laughs> is the exact amount.
0: No Let's go. <laughs> yeah,
2: I definitely Googled that. So uh, it just goes to show it can be a pretty rough place for the best of them. Uh, but I did find a quote after the recap of, of 2006 in relation to Amari, and uh, I think it can be applied for you know what we saw from Aiton in Vegas, which we'll obviously get onto in a minute. But the quote was, He was playing like a terrific teammate. He was looking to pass the ball. He wasn't trying to dominate. He was trying to get his work in, and it was impressive to watch. So with Amari signing uh, back with his Israeli team last week, uh, which is actually contingent on him uh, not finding an NBA team, uh, apparently that's a thing, uh, I'll leave you with one final comparison of sorts between young Amari and our new franchise big in Ayton. Max and Callan, Amari started his rookie year and played all 82 games, played 31 minutes a night. He didn't start at centre, but uh, the most common lineup that year was with him at the five. So let's play a, a quick game of eight and over under using Amari's stats. Uh, Callan, you can go first and, and Max can follow. So uh, his field goal percentage that year was 47.2%. Will eight and go over or under that?
0: Jesus, I would hope over. Holy smokes. If he's under forty seven percent, that's going to be a disaster. So yeah, that's <laughs> Alex Len shot better, I think, his mm-hmm. rookie year. So and Len, it was historically inefficient as a, ce- a young center. So it I also would, yeah,
1: it I seems hope like Igor is not going to let him shoot threes right away. If someone leaves any
2: indication, so that should help. Yeah. Going along with that field goal, the the points per game wasn't great. It was thirteen point five. Does anyone want to take the under on that?
0: That's that's really close, actually, to kind of what. I would say, because I think it's just hard to differentiate. Uh, we'll get into this obviously later, but how he goes with Jackson and Booker and Knight and all those offensive-minded players, I think his points per game are going to be a little lower than expected. I'm going to go over, but if it was like 15, I might say under.
1: Yeah, if I had to guess, I would just guess 15. I think that's a good number. He's going to play a lot of minutes, which is why I think he'll, he'll his point total will be higher, but I wouldn't expect him to have a whole lot of huge point scoring games.
2: How about eight point eight
0: rebounds? I mean, so Ariza is going to start at the four, we think. Mm. So I would, I would say over based on that. And the, I guess the good news for this prediction is even if it's not Ariza, it's Dragon Bender Marquis Chris, and they're both te- <laughs> they're both terrible rebounds. Hey, Buffender,
1: so. Buffender, he can rebound a little better now.
0: Yeah, he did that thing in the last 10 games of last year where he decided to just like run back and try and mine rebounds essentially and it was a good strategy. I hope he does more of that in the future. Um yeah, I'm going to go over 2. So, man, even like 15 and 9 I'm saying. That's I didn't expect to be that uh bullish on it, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to go over 2. I think if I had to guess his stat line, I guess I would say
1: probably like 14 and a half points, 10 rebounds basically is what I guess. I think he's going to get a lot of rebounds.
2: This one's pretty interesting. Amari had 1.1 blocks in his rookie season. What do we think in relation to Aiton there?
0: I'm going to go over two just on the same basis as the rebounds and that like there's not going to be many guys blocking shots on this team. And I think he's going to force himself to be, not forced, but be forced to be put in those positions. So I'm going to go over. But that's the one, if I had to pick one, I don't feel confident about that one for sure.
1: Slide over. He's going to play so many minutes again that I think that he'll he'll put that up.
2: Uh, Amari had just one flat assist per game in his rookie season. Is Aiton going to go above that?
0: Oh man, I am going to go under. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think think he's a really good passer out of the double team, but I don't think he's going to be double teamed at all, really. So I, I'm not sure there's a difference between him being like a playmaking big who can make a lot of good reads uh, in general and then just passing out of double teams I think there's a big difference there so I'm gonna go under but talking about the blocks again I don't feel great about that at all I'm
1: gonna go slight over and that's because I think he's gonna be doing a lot of when he gets the ball in the post he's gonna be looking to pass first he was doing that in summer league not, not a huge over but again he's gonna play a lot of minutes uh, Igor's offense is very really built around player and ball movement so I think just kind of naturally being in the flow of the game he'll, he'll get more than one but it's not going to be a lot more
2: and the last one uh, and one I'm throwing in there Amari actually had 5.9 free throw attempts per game in his rookie year what do we think in relation to Aiton on that one
0: Man, yeah that, that's that's pretty close uh I am going to go under just because I believe like the ratio in terms of free throw attempts to field goal attempts I don't think he's going to be taking like 16 15 shots a game or anything i think he's going to be taking around 9 to 10 to 11 so i just think the amount of free throws he would need um i'd have to look at a leaderboard i'm not so good about free throws and correlation and like just how many is that per game but i think i would go under
1: i'm going under as well a uh, little bit of preview my biggest problem with ayton right now is his lack of physicality uh, Amari came into the league ready to bully people right away, get to the line. Aiton's going to be a little more finesse. I, I hope he embraces physicality a little earlier in his career, but I think it'll take him a while, and I think he's going to not get to the line as much as you'd like.
2: Fair enough, fair enough. That's it, guys. Thanks for uh, amusing me a little on that one. Yeah, that was fun. Very interactive, David.
1: Okay, so let's get into our preview of the Phoenix Suns Summer League performance. Again, they went 4-1. and one. They had probably the most star-stacked team on the in the entire circuit, I would say. What do you think, Kellen? It seemed like... Whenever the Suns played, they were the they were the main attraction.
0: They had the most NBA players on their team. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know people are going to make Dragan Bender jokes there. And of (laughs) course, Davon Reed and Shaq Harrison are coming off like the bottom of the roster. But they had the most NBA players there sort of by default. I mean, Josh Jackson was what the second, third best player on his team. And he was he was back there. Uh, he obviously didn't play like that in Vegas, and then you add in Aiton and Bridges, who are going to be those players right away. And we're going to talk about Elliot Kobo later, but he certainly looks like at least an NBA level point guard uh, from what we saw.
1: Yeah, we'll get into it later, but yeah, Ocobo was um, probably the most surprising to me in terms of how different he was than I thought he was going to be.
2: Yeah, he was. Uh, I guess probably one that we didn't, um, you know, know a terrible a lot about after after being drafted in in comparison to to Aiton and Bridges. So. Uh good to see him get a few reps and it was uh sad to see him miss some games there, but bit of a impromptu seven seconds or less Vegas edition here, guys. I uh, I sat on the sidelines very jealous of most people from Suns Twitter being in Vegas. So I'm gonna throw a couple more questions at you here before we get stuck into the uh the analysis of how all the players went. You ready? Let's do it. All right, number one is who was the I guess most odd or most famous person you walked past at Summer League?
0: You want to go first gone? Man, that's not really something that like I took into consideration. Um for me personally, it was so it was my 5th year in a row going and this is not me sounding like a big shot at all, but I've seen Woj in person before, so like obviously he would he would be the first to come up. Um I met Worldwi- Worldwide Wob. Uh <laughs> so I think I would count him. He was like cheering for the Knicks on Media Row, which was just amazing and I wouldn't expect anything less <laughs> out of him. Uh, so I guess I would say him, but I'm going to think as max answers.
1: Uh, during the game before the Suns game on Friday night, the, I think it was the Celtics-Sixers game, I sat behind Andrew Wiggins, uh, who was, cool. he was just chilling there for a while. And he was i mean, he was just constantly getting autograph requests. All these kids were coming up too, and he was smiling the whole time, giving every single autograph. So you can hate on his play all you want if, if you want, but he seems like a really nice guy.
0: Oh, does, uh, does Chris Hansen count? I met Chris Hansen <laughs> along with Max and other people. and that, that definitely counts. Speaking of living up to the hype, oh my god, Chris was amazing. He's exactly I love Chris what you so expect. <laughs> yeah, 100%. His wife was a delight. Oh, it was, she's great. It was I
1: don't know how she puts up with him. But uh, speaking of your cabinet, if, as president of he would probably be Secretary of Defense, right? Going after all those Utah fans?
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, he would he would actually like be the president within three weeks because he would look to overthrow me. So <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd get assassinated for sure. I could do that.
2: Shout out to Chris if he's listening. I think he uh, I think he takes us in most of the time. So uh, hello to you, Chris, and uh, we all appreciate you on Twitter for sure. Uh, second question, guys: Who was the most impressive non-suns player that you saw live in Vegas? Uh, you go first, Max. So, I
1: didn't get to see as many games as I wanted to see, but for me, it was I know he was really bad after this game, but Furcon Corkmaz went off for 40 in the game I was watching, and he was awesome. He was hitting everything. It was really fun.
0: I was, uh, was going to pretty much say the same thing as Max. I did not get to see Shea at all, and I heard Shea oh, yeah. was great. I didn't get to see Colin Sexton. I didn't get to see Wendell Carter Jr. It's this kind of weird schedule I had where I was watching the games before the Suns and Thomas and Mac, and then after I had to write, so I couldn't really... Uh, find my way towards that Uh, i really liked how john collins looked his Mm -hmm. shot in particular looked super legit and if he's a guy that's shooting threes he's gonna make me look even more dumber than i already am about him because i think i didn't even have him ranked in like the top 25 or 30 in that draft i just didn't get it and now obviously i totally get it uh he's really good and he actually might be i know atlanta has trey but he actually might be their best prospector right up there um, no, I'm saying, I'm saying after this year, if he plays the way I think he will okay. and has a big second year, I think he could really jump up a level. And that's more speaking to him, not down on Trey. Obviously, gotcha.
2: Yeah, I, I love Collins. He's great. Um, I I tried to take a, a few few games in myself. Obviously, not there, but um, access to all the replays, and he was definitely one of the most impressive. There was a poll on Twitter actually this week about the more impressive young roster going forward between the Kings and and the Hawks and. The Kings won at like eighty five fifteen or something like that, and I was just that's insane. I'm pretty happy with Atlanta's young core. I'm a big fan of Prince, big fan of Collins, and um, you know Trey Young got better. Obviously, his second summer league stint, and uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't understand that, but pr- probably ties into another point I made on Twitter about you know polls of, of two teams or more kind of really don't make a lot of sense because they just get hijacked by fans, I think.
0: Uh, so I was just going to say quickly on like Sacramento, I don't know about a lot of people listening, but I know you guys live in the same space I do where we talk about ranking these guys for months and months. Mm-hmm. So for us, uh, me in particular, I had Bagley ranked seventh and I didn't really feel that great about him. But he got picked second in this draft. And if we're talking about the guys that looked the least impressive for me, he was there for sure. And after that great game he had in Sacramento, the first one, he was—he looked like he's going to take a lot of time. And that's going to be one where I feel like seven might have been too high for him after watching him at Summer League. It's just Summer League, but that was just what I saw out of him initially in terms of direct translation to NBA and space and everything. And then obviously, like, uh, he went second so man Sacramento that was such a risky pick already and it looks like it might be uh, not so great I was
2: just
1: gonna ask you both right now put you on the spot would you rather have John Collins or Marvin Bagley
0: uh Collins 100 percent.
2: yeah I'd take Collins too and and that's just someone who wasn't very high on Bagley going into the draft but uh he certainly hasn't done anything to to prove me wrong just yet not
1: great Sacramento
2: Yeah.
0: So, is your is your point pretty much kind of on the same lines as like Collins in his rookie year is basically what you kind of hope Bagley is going to be in his rookie year? Because I I think that's kind of where the corollary is and the relationship between the two is shared. And then Collins, of course, looks so impressive in year two and. Bagley has a long way to go. Obviously, he was a raw guy coming out anyway, but I, I think I would rather take Collins. right? Now. Yeah, well,
1: you hear the comparisons, right? A lot of people have actually called Marvin Bagley like, a glorified John Collins. Uh, I, I think John Collins is infinitely safer than Marvin Bagley is at this point. We, I mean, he's already good, um, but I, I do think there's still that just that tail end upside of Marvin Bagley that is higher than Collins because he's just he's just such a freakishly coordinated athlete. But I mean, I wouldn't bet on him taking it or making that uh, that leap. So I, I think I agree with you guys on Collins.
0: I think it just to clarify here, this is not something where we're overreacting to Summer League. No. I think it's just more of reacting to Summer League in a specific way, which is something I've you guys are probably familiar with me saying I've talked about all the time is that Summer League is actually useful if you look at it in certain ways, like John Collins's jumper. It looks really, really good, and it looks like he's at least going to be a guy who can take like two to four attempts a game and shoot. Like thirty-two to thirty-four percent, and that's being super safe. It looked Mm -hmm. way better than that. Yeah. From there, you look at Collins, and you already say he's this productive rebounder and scorer around the rim, and the way he moves athletically. And then you add a three-point jumper to that. Whereas Bagley looks like a guy who can't even use his right hand right now. Yep. And that's just where the difference for me is. And uh, just wanted to clarify there because that's that's been a hot topic that we're probably going to get into is overreacting to summer league in general. And that's not really what this is. I think you could have asked me that during the draft. And I thought I wouldn't not have been too, um, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been a easy decision for me to make.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. I think, I mean, we probably see this a lot with Aiton, which we'll, which we'll get onto, but you know, the, the things that Bagley is supposed to do well from the get go, he didn't even really outside of that first game do all that well. And that was kind of the, the big scary thing for me with him. Um, you know, the, the energy wasn't there, the kind of relentless rebounding wasn't there. And um, yeah, there wasn't a lot that I saw from him that, that impressed me, that's for sure. But uh, moving on to, to question three, it, it's Vegas after all. And I uh, just wanted to see whether, you know, Callan, you're there probably more for work than, than fun. But uh, did either of you get up to something uh, non-basketball related all weekend in Vegas?
0: Uh, yeah. So David will appreciate this. Obviously, uh, I bet on the world cup and made money doing it, which was really fun. Shouts to France for winning <laughs> and shouts to Croatia for winning as well. Uh, so that was really fun. Just going to a different sports book or two and watching the game around a bunch of crazy fans. Uh, I didn't really do that much outside of it though. Cause yeah, like you said, uh, I was kind of worn out a lot of the days it is like Max can attest to this point. It's kind of exhausting sitting there and watching eight to 10 hours of basketball. I know that sounds really weird, but just being there and everything it actually is a pretty long day.
1: I also actually bet in the World Cup. Uh I bet on penalty kicks for Russia Croatia at like plus 450 and one randomly. That's was just a random bet I decided to make. Uh Friday night I actually went out with some some Twitter celebrities with Scott Howard, Streaker and Chris Hansen. So that, that was oh and uh, Brian Giverman. So that was fun.
2: Very nice, very nice. I find it funny uh watching watching you guys in in Vegas and and betting on things. I mean betting here in australia is so accessible i could you know do it right now on my phone if i wanted to and uh not to say that that's a good thing um but yeah it's it's pretty cool seeing seeing you guys flock to vegas and and uh put on some some random bets because you can yeah that's that's just crazy
0: to me that you can do that on your phone because me and my friends are such degenerates that there is a casino in california in morongo where you can gamble if you're 18 and we, like, drove there, like, five or six <laughs> times in between when we were 18 and 21 just because we wanted to, like, gamble in person. So it actually makes me happy that I didn't have access to it on my phone at at that age and even at this age, quite frankly, because I would burn a lot of money doing so, having such great access. But it could be coming soon, which is horrifying from my perspective.
1: By the way, when you're in Vegas, you can get an app that you can bet on your phone. I had it. It's, it's dangerous.
2: Yeah. So that's – uh that's life as an 18 year old in Australia, you know, straight away. And uh, yeah, I think Kellen just alluded to it. It's something we need to keep in mind uh, with, with the betting revenue in in the NBA because it's uh, it's pretty much impossible to watch sport these days. I've touched on it a couple of times in uh, on Twitter before, and uh, you can't watch sport uh, without, you know, ads for for betting agencies between breaks in the game and, uh, you know, billboards at the venues and, you know, you got to keep in mind. There's, there's also kids there watch trying to watch their their favorite teams too, and uh, it's actually it's a pretty gross thing here in Australia, and and something that I hope the NBA is probably a little bit more on top of. Hopefully,
1: um, it seems like Silver's been preparing for it for a while, so I'm pretty hopeful. All right, anything else on Vegas? Should we get into the, uh DeAndre Ayton? Let's let's get into it. Okay, so I guess I'll ask you guys both. We'll start with Kel and we'll go to David. What were you surprised by, if anything, about what DeAndre Ayton did in Vegas in terms of you know both his role and also his performance? Did, did anything shock you compared to what you saw from him at U of A, or was he pretty much what you expected?
0: Uh, it was a mix of the two things. I think in the first game, I was pretty surprised at how tired he got right uh-huh. away, but he just said that it was just a lot of nervous and excited energy like combined into it. And I I think from a watching him in the Pac-12, especially uh, kind of lens, seeing him in Summer League now, it is true that he hasn't been facing these types of bodies before and battling for post position and stuff. And that's like one of the things he's going to have to definitely improve on is establishing post position. But you kind of think about it like he's never faced someone like Harry Giles before who is nearly as strong as him, nearly as fast as him and like just as big as Mm -hmm. him like he he's just been never facing that caliber of athlete where he is just this one in a million athlete in college. And then he comes to the NBA and certainly he's in like the top percentage of athletes when it comes to centers. But at the same time, there are guys that are still close to him and that are going to make him fight a lot more than he used to. So I think that was just a sort of a shock was seeing the mix of ineptitude getting him the ball, but it was also like he couldn't hold post position for more than two to three seconds a lot and that that is where I had a little bit of surprise in his offensive game overall because that was something we couldn't evaluate in college was how he how strong he was going to be in the post. You just look at him and assume he's going to be able to hold post position, but it's a lot of little tweaks and technicalities here and there that he's going to have to work on. So I guess that would be my answer for, for what I was the most surprised by, just kind of by default.
2: Yeah, I'd probably double down on, on what Callen started with there in terms of Aiton's fitness. I've had a couple of people tell me that it needs a a, a ton of improvement, and I think that's where a a lot of improvement after summer might come from with Ayton. I think we saw him, you know, he did say it was kind of excited, nervous energy, but, you know, even watching some of the later games, I think, um, you know, when he wasn't engaged or he'd been out there for a little while, that's kind of generally when the the bigger mistakes started to come. So I think he's definitely got a lot of work to do there over the summer, and and I'm excited by that um, and was surprised by that Um, because I definitely thought he was in in better shape or, you know, he's obviously in pretty good shape, but from a, um, you know, running up and down the court standpoint, maybe wasn't as uh, ready to go. Outside of that, you know, I was probably surprised with the way they used him, to be honest. I've kind of been pretty strong on this. I I didn't expect them to, um, you know, make things easy for Ayton, but I I definitely think they could have run things and you know now that I'm saying this I I can't believe I ever doubted (laughs) Igor but you know I uh I I didn't think that they would put him in in so many difficult positions you know so much pick and roll um which is you know clearly his biggest weakness right now and something that he really needs to work on and and they were kind of I was just really happy that the Suns were you know I guess not as defensive at the the hot takes on Aiton and were willing to just get him those reps and um, you know, it resulted in him not looking great sometimes, and that's where a lot of the you know hot takes have come from. But uh, you know, it's clearly a, a long term development thing with the Suns, and they're not going to react to you know a bad game here or there or a bad moment. So you know, that was probably my biggest surprise was that they really threw him into the fire and um, you know a, a, you know trying to develop him from the get go, which you know probably shouldn't come as a surprise. But I think they could have uh, made it a lot easier on him in in summer league.
1: First of all, I agree with you guys on the fitness thing. I didn't expect him to be needed to take a blow five minutes into the first game. It was, it was strange. I, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but I agree with the role thing. So I was very surprised that they didn't try to feature him a little more uh, in the offense. They really they, they really weren't that interested in – of course, they had trouble getting the ball, but they also just weren't that interested in, in getting him the ball in general, it didn't seem like. I I was also surprised he didn't take a single three. I thought they might try to see what the, his range looked like. It, I, I'm not worried about it. I, I think it probably says less about where he is as a three-point shooter right now, and probably more about how Igor wants to build him. I think it seems to me that Igor's plan here, and I'm just guessing, obviously I don't know Igor, but it looks like he's trying to just break uh, Aiton's game down to the very basics and build him from there. Because yeah, Aiton is a player who I've always viewed as someone who, while he has very few inherent flaws, if any, like there's like no inherent flaws to his game. There's nothing that that, we, that you know weakens him. Physically, he has a lot of existing flaws. There's a lot of issues in his game right now. And I think that it makes a lot of sense to take a player like that and just and start kind of from scratch with him. You know, he's only been playing basketball since he's 12 anyway. So I don't think it's too difficult for Igor to just, you know, kind of hit the reset button and try to build up Aiton uh, from scratch. Going next. So, so, Kellen, how about this? What do you think after watching him in summer league next year in the NBA, what do you think are going to be his biggest strengths and weaknesses or you can focus on one strength and weakness if you want but what do, what do you kind of expect to see out of him next year
0: Uh I don't think it's really changed much in terms of what I'm expecting I think he's going to be a guy who is one of the most productive rookies I think he is going to shoot very well from the field kind of by default weaknesses it's impossible to say anything's really changed because obviously his biggest weakness is defense and I'm just not going to read much into what i saw from summer league especially um on defense so with him i think that we saw more of what we expected in terms of the tools because i tweeted out like a couple of different possessions throughout the games that he had where it's like that's a that's like a sequence right there that not many centers can pull off and he just pulled it off maybe he wasn't as tight on some of the rotations but he made it happen so i think it's basically what we sort of expected i Don't think any strengths and weaknesses changed. I would say a strength that's going to be a strength-weakness discussion that's going to be interesting is just how effective is he as an individual offensive player right away. And I think maybe more phrasing that is, is he going to be an effective individual offensive player right away? Is he going to be someone that is one of the more efficient guys in the post uh, scoring from there? Or is it going to be more simple, which is I think what we all kind of believe it will be, which is he's going to stick to rim runs and pick and roll and finishing around the basket, rebounding, and the rest is going to come to him um, a little bit more slowly, which is I think what we would all prefer as well.
2: Yeah, I think I just agree a lot with what Callen just said. Again, not to to double down again, but um, yeah, I think his his biggest strength in the NBA is you know, and something I. Touched on throughout Summer League is kind of his gravity on the floor, and why I was really impressed with the way they played him. Um, I think he was clearly the best player on the court, particularly for the Suns in in the majority of the games that he played. And um, you know they kind of played him as if he was the third or fourth best player. And that's you know again, I think getting him used to what his role in the NBA is going to be. It's going to be about getting Booker shots. It's going to be about getting Ariza wide open shots. Um, it's going to be about using you know his his physical strength and and his kind of dive to the, to the rim and, um, to, to get good looks for the rest of the team. So I think that's going to be his, his kind of big strength, at least to start in the NBA and, and why I was really impressed with the way that they used him to try and get those reps into him because, you know, other than training camp, that was kind of, you know, the first and last bit of competitive basketball in a son's uniform and, until preseason starts. So, um, yeah, that was kind of interesting to me. And, um, I think, his biggest weakness right now, I'm, I'm kind of higher on his pick and roll defense than a lot of people are um, just from what I saw in summer league and and how little he did it in college. I think he's kind of got all the tools to, to be a decent pick and roll defender from the start. But, you know, I could see teams, you know, I think the game's a little slow for Aiton outside of, you know, what's coming directly at him and he kind of overthinks things a lot. So I could see teams really picking on him. Um, and kind of probably his biggest weakness on defense is kind of his weak side stuff and, and reacting kind of two or three steps um, ahead as the elite kind of rim protectors do. So, you know, I could see a lot of those frustrating plays that, you know, have kind of been picked out of college and stuff where he's kind of just standing there looking at his man while a guy ducks to the rim. And, you know, it's kind of through the hoop before Aiton even realizes what's happening. And that's kind of probably the biggest side of his game. Uh, on defense, that he really needs to work on. I,
1: I echo what you, both of you guys said, and uh, I'll add that. So I kind of view him as having a major strength and a major weakness. That I think he, I don't, Summer League really didn't change my opinion on this. I kind of f- felt this going in. The strength to me is is kind of what he's going to do for everyone else. Just his presence of, of a player of that size and athleticism, it's just going to help out everyone else so much, especially Devin Booker. I mean, you guys. Both watched the Suns as much as I did last season. Devin Booker just didn't have anybody who could finish anything. It's just going to help him so much to have a, a guy who can actually, you know, finish off the nice place. Because Booker's got good vision and it, it's nice to have someone on the floor with him who can take advantage of that. The biggest weakness to me is just the physicality. Like DeAndre Hayton is one of the most gifted human beings to, to you know, to ever walk the earth. I think, I think Sam Vecini said that he thinks he's the, the greatest physical athlete to enter the NBA since LeBron. And I don't so so I saw on Twitter some people say that they think that Ayton didn't pop in terms of his size and athleticism. And I, I don't agree with that. I think he did, but in limited ways because he doesn't know how to use it yet. So for example, like the, the chase down block in the Orlando game, that was a freakish play that very few human beings can make. But all the time you just see him get pushed around and stuff. I, I just don't think he knows how to use his body yet. I, I don't think he knows how to just you know, put someone's ass in the in, in the hoop the way you know for example Shaquille O'Neal would do someone he's compared to often on defense even when he's in the right place there are a lot of times where he just doesn't use his frame and his size to impose and I don't know whether that's a lack of will or it's a lack of just knowing how to do it but I think that's something that they're really going to have to work on with him because it, it doesn't mean a whole lot to be a seven foot one seven five wingspan athletic behemoth if you don't use that to your advantage if that makes any sense
0: yeah I think. For him, what we saw was just more of what we expected to see. And I think this became the discussion after the fourth game where he didn't play that well. And our overall point going up to him and having Doncic over him and all those sort of things was that he was a lot more raw than people were willing to talk about. And he was much more of an upside play than people are willing to talk about. And I think we saw in that game specifically where he has to improve the most and where he is a gamble in certain areas because we're not willing to say that he is going to be an effective offensive individual player which is the point I made earlier and then obviously on defense we don't think that's going to be the case either so as an individual like one one guy we don't think he's going to be particularly effective on other en- on either end right away and and that's where it's just an upside play and he's just going to have to Improve more and more. I, the one thing that I really liked uh, to see from him was that his motor translated because uh, the difference between his defense was always mm-hmm. the motor and the instincts. And his motor was always good, but the instincts were trash. And the motor translated, I didn't really see him floating in games that often. And he just had a lot of improvement as well over the course of the games i think in the third game he was legitimately like very good out there i was very impressed by him and he clearly improved from the first game to the second game to the third game and then the fourth game was just what it was he was he's a rookie at the end of the day playing in summer league he's going to have a bad game out there that was sort of not surprising uh to see but that probably from uh an overall like conclusion on him i would say that seeing him improve and then be that good in the third game was pretty much all I needed to see to feel positively about him. And I certainly feel that way after uh, seeing him in Vegas.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I guess to kind of round it out and maybe round it out on Eaton is um, there was definitely progression a lo- among the, you know, the first three games. Um, the fourth game I think was seen as, you know, maybe a little bit of a, a step down, but I think he still actually played quite well, you know, not in terms of, I guess, his counting stats, but um, you know, I think his his overall defense and role on offense was, you know, pretty similar to what he'd done in the first three games. It just didn't kind of translate for the for the entire team. But and that's why you know you can't put too much into into summer league games because you know missed shots and and lucky shots on the other end can kind of skew the the message a little bit. But um, you know, the last thing I will know, I, I've been doing a little bit of work on his kind of pick and roll stuff on either end, and he he guarded 69 pick and rolls either guarding the roll man or the guard in college. He took in 48 of those possessions by my count, uh, just in the four games that he played in summer league. So, you know, when you hear guys talking about, you know, his, his mind racing and, and trying to make the right decisions and, um, you know, making the odd mistake, it's like, it, it's very clear to me why that's happening. It's because he's, he's doing a lot of this stuff for the first time. And, um, you know, one thing that you can't break down of those sixty nine possessions in college is is how many of those were actually at the five without you know kind of watching every game again. But um, you know, I would say that a lot of those were probably also at the four with you know a clogged paint with with wrist stitch in there as well and and his man. So you know, again, just kind of rounding out what I what I started with on eight and very impressed with with the way he did things, um, considering you know I think he's he's kind of learning a new position on on both ends here in the NBA and. Um, you know, as Kellen touched on, he's he's not the ready-made prospect that you know a lot of people have wanted to kind of shout that he is. Um, and and there's going to be some rough times with him, even in his rookie year. But uh, you know, I think there's still a lot there to work with, and um, you know, hopefully the Suns can develop him.
1: Yeah, I think we all generally agree on this, and I think I think the point is that he was always rawer than everyone you know most people thought he was, uh, especially most people who weren't you know on Twitter you know analyzing his game. And that's why, like, I understand why, you know, local radio host X would be disappointed because he compared him to Hakeem Olajuwon or whatever, and he wasn't that. Like, I understand why that person would be disappointed. I'm not disappointed because I kind of expected this. I also don't really get why certain people on draft Twitter who are low on him already are disappointed in his summer league. That's kind of what you should expect, right? He's a raw guy. That's kind of what most of us thought on, on draft Twitter or whatever. But anyway, so yeah, I think none of us are really disappointed in it or worried about it. We just, you know, he's got a long way to go, and we kind of already knew that.
0: I would just say that to kind of end the discussion on him is the thing that I realized the most watching him was that the Suns are actually a really good landing spot for him. And this isn't even talking about Igor or anything. It's the fact that I worry about him if he goes to a team where he is going to be like Mm -hmm. the number one or the number two offensive option right from the jump. And the Suns have all these other different options. And. For what you want to say about Brandon Knight, whether you think he's going to be good or not, he's at least an offensive-minded point guard that can. that's going to be aggressive to get his own shot and keep it moving in that way. And then, of course, there's Devin Booker, there's Josh Jackson, there's TJ Warren. There's a lot of guys that are going to demand offensive attention, and I think that's ultimately going to be the best for his development because as I've been saying really for months, the best-case outcome for him isn't that he's this dominant offensive player. It's that he's a really, really good two-way player, and of course he has the potential to be like one of the best two-way centers really ever, just with his athleticism and everything. But I think the best-case scenario for him is to just be a balanced two-way guy, and I think that this is a good environment for him to do that, at least offensively, and kind of balance out where uh, his game winds up. He's going to be a top-ten
1: player in the NBA. It'll be because of his defense, I think. Let's move on to uh, Dragan Bender, who had a bit of an up-and-down summer league. I think I'm a little higher on how he looked than most people did, because, I mean, he had that atrocious second game against Sacramento that was, you know, one of the worst— performances I've seen anybody have it. any NBA game of any level uh but he definitely came back stronger he looked more confident to me he, he made plays that he wasn't making at any point that I've ever seen him make for example like the fade away and he had a couple nice drives but yeah you know he was obviously was up and down so Kellen I, I listened to Empire of the Suns I heard your take on him but for anybody who happened to not listen to that maybe you can give it a, a quick little spiel on it
0: yeah, uh, for the sake of Kevin, even if he's not in this podcast, I'm going to keep it under like five <laughs> minutes or however long I straight, I went for him. I just blacked out in my hotel room and talked for like six straight minutes about him. Uh, it just comes down to how consistently can he be consistent. That's really all it is. That's what consistency means, I guess. But uh, it, it it's just doing the dumb stuff that he does all the time can he stop doing the dumb stuff all the time? Is that going to be a thing where maybe he has a brain fart once or twice a game, but he can't have more? Because that is where he not only becomes a more effective player for everyone else on the court and himself, but he also helps himself and gets his confidence up. So when he's doing a Dirk one-legged fadeaway from the mid-post like it's nothing, like that was the most casual-looking Dirk fadeaway I think I've ever seen somebody not named Dirk do. And he made it look so easy, and it's just this reminder to everyone even the people listening who think he's a bust and thinks the Suns should just wave him, he is undeniably talented like even as like a scorer as like a ball handler like he has that type of talent to score and do everything else on the court it just comes down to how confident he is. so I think that was just the whole summer league was just a reminder of that entire point and that when he has stretches like this he can have especially I believe that was the fourth game right or the third yeah uh, the fourth game good. where he had the dirt ter- fade away in a couple of other moves. It was, yeah. 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 And he had a couple of other moves. He had his best play of the tournament by far was when he squared up and and he faced up and then took uh the big baseline and finished on the other side while taking contact. And that's the type of move that he needs to get better at and he showed that he has that he's capable of. Uh so that's just my entire point really is just don't do the dumb things please and it will come naturally and he will actually be very, very good. But that's all it is. That's just all it is. If he continues to do the dumb stuff, then maybe they decline his the team option next year. It's really all it is.
2: Yeah, I think you you you're spot on with that. And and his time at Vegas is you know the the low light plays um, are, are what gets you know remembered long term with with Dragon. He he just he needs to cut those out of his game. Um, I was you know pretty impressed with his defense overall, even in those. Um, you know, really bad box score games to start, you know, first and, and second game mainly. Um, he was still playing very solid defense and, you know, him and Aiton were actually playing really well together. They seemed to have a little bit of cohesion and, um, you know, guys coming into the paint were just being, you know, shadowed by these two human beings that were just playing really straight up and down, you know, solid defense and and not taking any risks. And that was kind of really impressive to me. The The low light stuff obviously took over and, um you know him being essentially a, a non factor on offense made it really hard you know to watch um but the defense and and when the shots falling is kind of what keeps him on the court and i think igor will be willing to put up with some of the dumb stuff and and as you say the the occasional brain fart um if he continues to play good defense and and hopefully provide that kind of stretch for you know, 37, 38% from three like he did last year. So that's the encouraging thing to me is he's not like a really bad rookie who you just can't play because he brings nothing and and you're kind of killing the team by trying to get minutes into him. He does actually bring a couple of pretty solid things to this team um, in in the way of his defense and and three-point shot. And that will hopefully be able to get the minutes into him to build up his confidence um, to hopefully you know add more and and cut some of the bad stuff out of his game too uh one thing that you know you guys probably don't get unless you rewatch the games um after watching them live in Vegas is you know a lot of the interviews and stuff is is what makes watching Vegas games pretty cool and you know both James Jones um Devin Booker and and McDonough a couple of times join the the coverage and it's intriguing to hear them say the same things that you know people like ourselves you know Max and I mainly keep you know saying and guessing about Bender, Bender in terms of it being his confidence um, you know we're not around the team Callan you're obviously around the team a little more than than we are or a lot more but you know they're, they're harping on the same things he's he's a young guy as much as his you know detractors hate to to hear that um you know he was drafted as a a high school player basically and you know he is going to take time and it's just encouraging for me to hear the 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 franchise actually admit that and um you know take the long term view with him because you know I think he's definitely the kind of prospect I'm obviously higher on him than a lot of people but uh the kind of prospect that you would you know really rue the decision if you stopped playing him and then eventually you know didn't take up his fourth year option or something like that there's um you know, there's too much there to work with, and you know, I've I've said it multiple times. I, I'm willing to give Igor at least a year with him.
1: So this is that's actually got into the end there, kind of why I I guess I disagree with you guys a little bit, uh, particularly Kellen, because to me, I I actually don't mind him making the boneheaded plays. I just want him to make plays. I just want him to do something. There were so many times last year where he he was clearly just trying to blend in out there because he was just, I, in my opinion, he looked like he was a little bit just hesitated to do anything because I think you made this point before, Kellen, he's such a smart basketball player that he realizes that he's not one of the best basketball players on his team. He's one of the worst basketball players in his team. So he doesn't want to say, do what Josh Jackson did and, you know, just, just drive at the rim every single time. He's, he's very cognizant of the fact that he is a support player. So, there was, I mean, there was one game last year where he was literally under the rim, wide open for a layup, and passed out for a three. And I think the reason why I was so encouraged by his summer league performance, even though it was up and down, was that I don't think he would have done that in summer league. I think it seemed like he had gotten the message that he needs to be more aggressive. It's okay to make mistakes because you know anybody who's twenty years old is going to make mistakes. You just need to do that so you can learn from it and become you know what you're supposed
0: to be. Because if you just if you're out there not doing anything, you're not gonna you're not gonna develop. I think it's because the trying and failing is what leads to more failing for him it seems inevitable now it, it we're only in year three but we're also in year three already so to me I think that when he is trying and when he is at least messing he's messing up and we're at least saying and like Eddie Johnson would say it a lot on the on the games was that it's good to at least see Dragon trying that I, I think we're past that point in year three and I think we're also at the point now where when he tries and fails, he doesn't recover. I haven't seen him once in a game, and someone can send me clips if I'm wrong, but I haven't seen him once in a game like try and fail and have like a a really bad five-minute run and then bounce Mm -hmm. back later in the game. It just hasn't happened yet. And that's where I look at him and just say, there's just no ways about it. It's just he has to be confident and also cut back the mistakes now because – he is just not an effective enough overall player to make up for that. I even think defensively, I, I still like him defensively, but I don't think he's a game-changing guy on that end, and I don't think he projects to really be a guy that's going to be game-changing on that end. And to me, that's not valuable enough to just be an average three-point shooter and make these mistakes. And it's, it's less about how often he's making the mistakes and more that his usage rate is like historically low, and he's still turning the ball over or making these mistakes enough to where, if you were to ratio it into how often is he turning the ball over for how low his usage rate is, he would obviously be one of the worst guys in the league, and that's where I hesitate to saying back to your original point. But I also agree that it's that it's good, but it's only good enough from a perspective of where he has is at in his development, if that makes sense.
1: It's it's very hard to tell Dragon to hey, go out there and be confident, and make plays, but only do the right things. You know, it's just. I think it's just going to lead to more of him being hesitant, and I don't really know how you handle it. I mean, thank God we we hopefully we have a Bender Whisperer here, at Igor. Maybe he can figure it out. But you make a good point. I, if he's just doing the wrong thing, it's not going to help his confidence. It's just going to hurt it. So it's a delicate balance, and uh, I'm rooting for him. But it's getting it's getting tougher and tougher. David, any last any last Bender thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just end on the fact that you know I think it was it was pretty obvious that Earl Watson didn't really like playing Bender. Um, you know, I, that's at least my take on it. Um, and I think for Triano, I think he, he obviously saw the tools in Bender, but, you know, I think Bender's, you know, very clearly a a long-term development play. And, you know, for a guy sitting in Triano's, uh, seat last year, who was, you know, trying to win the job by the end, he, he wasn't interested to begin with, but then he kind of threw his hat in, in the ring. And, you know, I don't think Bender's the kind of guy you attach yourself to, to try and improve in. You know, fifty games to try and win the job. I think he was more interested in featuring Booker, um, you know, and and trying to get the team wins to to improve his chances of of winning the long term job. So, you know, I know a lot of people probably listening will will hate this take, but I'm kind of willing to wipe the slate clear a little bit uh, with Dragon Bender and and not put too much stock in what we've seen in the last couple of years and and really focus on this summer and and how he comes out because you know with Igor uh with a long term view with a th- a 3 year contract and and hopefully a lot longer with the franchise um I think he can take the time actually necessary to to build this guy you know back up because you know I think whilst a lot of it is his own fault uh there's a there's been a lot of other circumstances that have kind of got got him to where he is and and you know the shell of his former self confidence wise because even you know, watching some of his rookie year stuff when he wasn't playing that well. Um, it's kind of night and day. He was this real cocky, confident kid when he came in and um, that all kind of changed over, you know, one and a half seasons.
0: Yeah, I, From a, to like kind of it on him, I think the entire, the legacy of him if he is a bust is going to be what we just, what you guys just talked about in the last two minutes. And I, I completely agree with you guys on both points, but at the end of the day, you cannot just like, I I don't. I don't want to say baby him, but it's like you can't just say oh we can't say this to Dragon because he's going to take it the wrong way and be even more uh, passive in basketball situations. Because just stop being passive, like stop being a baby about it and be aggressive about it. You know what I mean? Like that's that's a very hard take in terms of uh, talking about how he plays. But that's just where he is at in year three. And it's also the same thing where we can't wipe the slate clean because he was garbage in his first two years. And looking at him compared to other rookies, even if he's good in years four, five, and six or whatever, okay, he's still sucked in years one and two and then whatever he is in year three. And that's where, just where we are at with him and what is so frustrating about his career to this point. It's kind of the make it or break it year for him. I mean, He, he needs to just show something this year. He needs to be better or... I think like
1: you said brought up earlier, there's a there is a chance that his team option will be declined, and that would be a really big failure. Uh okay, let's move on to Mikel Bridges. A little bit of a happier talk because I think Mikel Bridges was a breath of fresh air on this team. He really was. He's he did something that, that really nobody else did on this team last season at all, and that was play consistent defense and make
0: shots. Kellen, you wanna you wanna start us off? Uh he plays really good defense. He had this one play that I'm gonna remember where Justin Jackson was bringing the ball up in semi-transition, and he got to half court, and McHale cut in front of him and denied him the ball from like progressing, and he kind of got stopped at the three-point line, which cut off any chance they had to score quickly off semi-transition. I did not see anyone do that on the Suns last year or two years ago or three years ago or four years ago, and it goes a while before you find a defensive guy like him. Then obviously, as a shooter, it's not only just having a guy that's a good shooter – but is going to be able to make some tough shots as a catch and shoot guy, and that's immense value on this team. And I think seeing him in Summer League, it's even more clear why the Suns made the trade that they did.
2: Yep, I uh, I very much agree with you, Callan. I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying that the least amount that we talk about you on this pod probably means how impressive you were in, in Summer League because we can probably move on pretty quickly from Mikael. But um, great defense, knockdown shooter I was I was really impressed watching him hit some of those shots he hit some really tough shots um, particularly from the corners I have personally coined his his nickname that I will continue with until it takes off and that's glue uh, and and a, a a nickname suited to a guy that the Suns really haven't had for a long time I think um, at, at least a young guy I think they've definitely paid a premium to get a guy like Ariza this year but um, I think Bridges is the perfect fit next to Booker low usage guy that plays defense. Um, he's going to hit shots. You know, in the later games, even saw him kind of take a few, um, you know, off the dribble moves and, and attack closeouts a little bit as as teams really tried to attack him off the three-point line. And I was impressed by that. Um, there was one dunk that I think he got fouled on, which would have been an absolute highlight of Summer League if he uh, managed to, to put it down. But um, yeah, I was just really impressed. Exactly as advertised... Uh, unfazed out there just played really really solid defense probably the only thing I would note you know a slight negative is he probably gambled a little bit too much but you know on on this team I'm not going to get down on someone for for doing that you know one or two times um, a game and it, it ending up in in buckets for the other team because um, you know, I think this team's really trying to change their their identity this summer.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what, Devin Booker's just got to be jumping out of his chair, and I, I saw him make some tweets towards Mikel with some, some excitement. I mean, the, the opportunity to play with him and Ariza, it's it's going to be just like night and day from last year, it really is. Uh, okay, should we move on to Josh Jackson, a little bit of a more sour note?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, one more thing on Bridges I wanted to say is I didn't really like tweet this out or write about it or anything, but it was really interesting asking... Uh, Igor about McHale after the fourth game, I think. It was the last game I was there, and he was actually really hard on McHale. He was just mentioning all these little things he has to improve on, and then he ended that by saying he's just a puppy. He's a puppy, and that's not how you think about a 21-year-old who just won two national championships and was arguably like the best player in college basketball last year, the best two-way player in college basketball. And I think that, to me felt like Igor really really sees his overall potential and knows that like, it's one of those things right where he sees that he's already good and knows he can be great and it's frustrating for him to see a young player mess up all these little things that are keeping him from being that much better and that was kind of the vibe I got for him for Mikhail so yeah just more good things about Mikhail okay Josh Jackson yeah stop taking mid-range jumpers David
2: yeah I I like I would say. I'm going to say 100% of of Suns fans out there was not impressed with with Josh Jackson's Summer League. Um he's kind of uh probably the direct opposite of a guy like Deandre Ayton who I think you know Igor clearly spent a lot of time within those, you know, few sessions before Summer League and um you know told Ayton exactly what his role was going to be and accepted that and he really took it on board and and didn't sulk at all even when things got tough whereas you know I I highly doubt Igor uh, told Josh to go out there and and take a ton of mid range jumpers and and break down the offense and get out of what they were trying to run, which is kind of exactly what Josh did out there and was, um, you know, a negative piece on the team for pretty much his entire length of play in Vegas, which is not a great thing to say about a you know a second year player who you know finished off the year pretty well, but um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not at panic stations yet. I don't think that's what he's going to do uh for the for the normal team i think he went in with the wrong attitude it's it's not an attitude that i i certainly like he he could have done uh a lot better for the team and, and really opened things up for the team but um, i think initially he really tried to attack the lane use the space um you know that Aiton's gravity was creating and things just weren't quite falling for him and then he kind of you know regressed into this yeah mid-range i'm gonna take every shot in the book and, and see if i can get going and um you kind of want guys to do that to a certain extent that's what summer league's for if he's been working on his shot and he wants to kind of work on it at at game speed and um against you know decent competition then that's what you want to see but uh yeah i would have when it wasn't falling i would have liked to him see you know change things up a little bit and and play within the offense a little bit more pretty disappointing but um you know with all the wings that the suns have and you know i'm I'm pretty hot, you know, high on this with Igor is, you know, I don't think Igor will have any problem just benching Josh. If that's the kind of thing that he brings to the, the actual team in the NBA season. And that's why I'm not too worried about it because, um, you know, Josh had his moment last year where he sat out a game and watched some film. And I think he's open to that. I think he just thought he was maybe a little bit, um, you know, too good for summer league and, and, kind of took the piss a little bit, as we like to say in Australia.
1: Yeah, see, I very much disagree with you. I, I think it would be a disaster if he gets benched for any significant amount of time next season. Like, they're they're really building it around him as one of their key pieces. They just keep mentioning it. And if that guy can't fit into a role, if, if he's doing this in the league, and because it's the thing, like, no matter what happens, right, Josh X is not going to be the number one option. Devin Booker is going to be the number one option. And I just don't see, like, what is he doing as, like, a non-number one or maybe even number two option in your starting lineup? Like, how is he helping you? Because at this point, it doesn't look to me he's not looking to be the playmaker that he could be and that he says he is sometimes. He's not playing the defense that he's you know his he's labeled as a, a perimeter lockdown defender. He's not that. He makes plays in that end, but he's definitely not like a consistent defender even to the level Mikael is. So like if if he comes out of the gates the same way he's doing in summer, like an Igor has to bench him, and that's just a disaster in my in my view
2: it is i'll just i'll give a little caveat that you know i think this is kind of part of his development and i don't think it would result in him getting benched i think it would actually result in him playing his role for the team that he's supposed to um but i i think eagle wouldn't be scared of the threat of benching him if he just continues to go out and do what he did at summer league which is why you know i probably didn't make the point all that well but why i just i'm not too worried about his summer league play because i just don't think it's the kind of thing we're going to see in the regular season with with the pieces that they have on on the normal team
0: so i i think that that was just him falling into the trap of what summer league is which is garbage basketball and he was all about playing that garbage basketball you know what i'm saying and with that i think that he's going to be when we look at guys on this team from a 21 win team to like a 35 36 win team hopefully um we look at guys who look the most different on a better team. I think he is going to be the guy that looks much, much better on like a below average to average NBA team than he does on just like a terrible NBA team. I think everything is going to come together much more naturally for him. And I just really like, again, he's the same sort of guy like DeAndre where it's really good to have Devin Booker there as the primary number one option because he's forced to not really have to do that. Of course, he had some stretches when Devin was hurt last year that he had to do that, and he looked good in some stretches. But I think he is going to be the guy that has the biggest jump in quality just based on how good the team is, and that's where I completely am not concerned about how he looked in the summer league at all. I just think it was bad habits, and I think he's going to be completely fine.
1: I will say the best evidence for that, I think, is how he played at Kansas, right? Because he was not the first or even the second option to Kansas, and he excelled in his role. Uh, so that, that I think that would be an encouraging uh, thing to think about.
2: I think he's uh, easily Igor's biggest challenge for the summer, um, which is a pretty big thing to say when you've you know just drafted the number one pick, just given $158 million to your franchise guy, uh, got a, a big reclamation project in uh, Dragon Bender. Um, but I think just looking at the way that Igor likes to play, um, he likes his wings to be shooters. Jackson's definitely not right now. Um, just trying to work out, where Jackson fits in the offense, um, based off the little that I know about Igor, um, is probably going to be his biggest challenge, um, kind of getting the playbook ready for the start of the season. Cause yeah, there's, there's not a lot of obvious ways to use his skills. Um, he definitely has skills. And I think as Callen and Max both just touched on, he's the kind of guy that will, um, you know, use the open seams and stuff that are created and, and, and attack the basket, um, Biggest challenge for Eagle this summer is definitely Josh Jackson. Yeah,
1: I will say it seems early on in summer league, like in the warm-ups in the first game, he, his shot seemed smoother to me, but then it just kind of went away. And I think it's – he didn't really shoot a lot of open shots. He was shooting a lot of like off-the-dribble bullshit that he, that he does, and I think that's kind of why. But anyway, last thing, I just – real quick, uh, put you on the spot. If you got to keep one, you keep Mikael Bridges or Josh Jackson? Uh Josh. Ooh, I say Bridges. Ooh, interesting. We got a little fight there. I, I think it's, it's so hard for me because Josh obviously has the SAR upside more than Mikel does. But I just I just know Mikel going to be good. So I think I go Mikel, but it's not easy. Uh, all right, let's go to Eli Acoba, who I thought I referenced earlier. Maybe the most surprising player to me in terms of I thought he was going to come in and just be this chucker because that's kind of his reputation in France. But he was much more competent as a, as a playmaker than I expected him to be. You know, he kind of lived off his reputation of the first game. He had a big first game, and he wasn't as impressive later. But I still think that he showed me enough that I am confident he will at least not be an awful NBA player next season. What do you think, Colin? I agree.
0: I think I'm, I am reading 0% into how effective he will be as an NBA player as, a, as like a rookie. Uh, because the example I had on the podcast was Emmanuel Moutier. Moutier was the guy who blew me away with his vision in passing against Summer League defenses, and that just turned out to be a complete wash. Uh, but the the point is, we didn't really know that Ellie could see the floor like this, and he clearly can. And that's what's so surprising about him, and I think the Suns were also surprised by it, just to see that he's capable of making these passes, and more importantly, is not going to fall into the trap Of taking a lot of bad shots and really rushing his offense which is a really good sign for him uh, playing backup minutes next year
2: yeah I was I was pretty impressed with what I what I saw and um, you know a little sad that he got injured kind of in the first minute of that game and then and then sat out the next one because you know even though it kind of looks like they were going to play Shaq right through to the end because of his contract situation it would have been nice to see Ali a a little bit more on the floor um, without that injury but What we did see very impressive, um, it kind of highlights, you know, particularly for a guy like myself, who's, you know, certainly not going to France to watch games, um, and see guys in person and is kind of relying on, on what's out there film wise. Um, you, you can't fall into a trap. And I think, you know, Aiton's probably another example of this is, you know, maybe Ali was playing, uh, the role for his French team that, that the team needed and, um, that meant that we didn't see a lot of this kind of extra things that he can do. And he, his playmaking was definitely the most impressive thing from his minutes in summer league. And um, that's from someone who was, you know, kind of low hot on him pre-draft uh, just purely because he's, you know, lack of de- defense and, um, you know, somewhat a, a little bit of a chucker, as I like to say on, on offense. But he played very much within himself. And you know, I think there was even a couple of comments about him, um, you know, probably being the opposite of Jackson in terms of just really wanting to execute the plays that Eagle was calling um, and that they'd learned in camp. And um, I was really impressed that he, you know, really played within himself and and therefore probably put a, a good foot forward to actually be the backup point guard for, for the Suns next year.
1: Yeah. I think we all agree, right? He was, uh, he was surprising in a good way. Uh, we're running a little long here. So let's, let's do the next two guys together. Cause it kind of makes some sense to do them together anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Shaq, Harrison and Davon Reed were both pretty damn good in Summer League. Uh, it's, I think they can keep both. I don't know if they will keep both. They they might, but uh, let, me you, so let me ask you, what do you think of both of them and who, I guess, would you prioritize?
0: For me, it'd, it'd be Davon Reed just because of what he does. That Shaquille Harrison is a point guard who doesn't score and doesn't shoot. Uh, with that being said, he's extremely valuable defensively. But Davon Reed is a three 3-nd wing, and that is all the rage in the NBA right now for good reason. The Suns are clearly prioritizing that with getting Mikael Bridges, with getting Trevor Reza, and it seems like Davon Reed can slip right into that role. He looks healthy, and he is the guy I would keep uh, for sure. I'm glad the Suns did not cut him before Summer League like they might have.
2: Yeah, uh, that would have been a, a really bad move, and uh, only worse would have been auditioning him for other teams in summer league just to let him go go elsewhere so um i I was impressed by both of them uh i'm just gonna say cut troy daniels and keep both uh i don't care if you have to eat three million dollars the cap situation means that they can right now just keep both of these guys they're both valuable as kind of 13 14 15 guys on the roster Uh, I thought they were probably our best two players if you're accounting every game that was played by the Suns. And yeah, I can't speak highly of enough. I think if you were to try and write the script for how both of their summer leagues went to try and stay on the Suns roster, I don't think you could have written it much better than that. Reed seemed to just hit every open three that he was given and and played really good defense. Played a lot of point of attack defense too, which I was impressed with. Looked really fit, really healthy. Um, And Shaq was just a pest out there. Um, you know did what he kind of knew we could do but kind of took it up a, a notch and his shot kind of looked good in in open situations as well which was kind of a nice thing to see and I was really impressed with kind of his first step off the dribble he really attacked the lanes that Aiton and um, a few other the bigs created you know even a guy like Cooley just really smart out there and knows how to kind of seal his defender to to let the guard get to the rim and um, yeah Shaq was just relentless out there I'd I would love to, I know that the roster is a little bit out of whack with point guards and things, particularly as someone who thinks we should um, add another point guard. Um, But yeah, I wouldn't be cutting either of those guys if possible.
1: Yeah, uh, I liked them both. I I agree. I'd I'd rather keep both of them. For me, I'm I'm with Kellen on this for sure. It's Davon Reed is the keeper here. Um, Just mainly because of the defensive versatility, but also the shooting. I think you need to have people next to Devin Booker who can shoot. And that would concern me about Shaq's long term fit. Fine third guard, but I could never see him in any in any case starting next to Booker or anything like that. Uh, Davon also impressed me so much with kind of his feel, but on both sides of the floor, he's he's very aware of what's going on out there. He, he's he's one of those guys you can just kind of trust. And I don't know what happened to him last season. I, I think it's just mostly the injury, but both summer leagues he impressed me in this way and sort of the feel way. So I'm I'm very high on his future, and I really hope they keep him around. I think I think they're going to. Uh, let me, uh, let me give it to this. So we had a little section here to discuss the rest of the roster, but we're, we're pretty long here. So let me give you both. You got like 15 to 30 seconds to discuss whomever you want. Pick one guy from the rest of the roster who you, who have, you have some sort of take on uh, David. We'll start with you since we've been started with killing all the whole time.
2: I think, you know who I'm going to say here. This is my, uh, my, my standard 15 seconds to mention George King, who I absolutely love. Wish I got to see more of him uh, in what we did see. I think he plays really good defense, wasn't quite as big out there as, as what I anticipated, but um, really smooth shot. Another guy that just doesn't need a lot of the ball. And, um, you know, I was really impressed and I'm kind of going to be excited to track him probably mostly with the Northern Arizona Suns next season.
0: Me at Troy Daniels, but on that point, I think it's important to say with like the potentially letting him go that it's easier to do so now because you have more shooting, and that was the whole point of keeping him was shooting and having him here. And now that you have Bridges and Arisa, I think it's a lot easier to keep him. Uh, I like George King. He bumped into someone holding a microphone. And said a typical rookie mistake, so I like him.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, George King was fine. I, I was fairly impressed with him. I think he's, he deserves to be on a two-way. I'm happy he's on one. And uh, I would look forward to you updating us on him, David, because I am not going to watch a single second of the Northern Arizona Suns. All right, so let's finish up as we always do. We're going to go to the seven seconds or less segment. This is the end of the show where we ask one of us asks the other three questions. We each have seven seconds or less to respond to them, and we have not prepared for them. This week, I think David's going to be asking questions to our guest. Kellen, you're going to be under the gun. Are you ready for this?
2: No, <laughs> this is this is the <laughs> point, Callan. This is uh, we like to test people, and uh, you know I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw them to both of you. We actually already did the first one. This is the beauty of seven seconds or less. Sometimes we touch on these, so uh, with our time constraints, we can we can skip right ahead. That was uh, Shack or Reed keeping him on the roster. I think we can both be pretty mm. sure that uh, you're in the Reed camp. Um, so let's move on to number two. Uh, if you had to bet on one guy being a starter for the Suns in two years time out of Jackson or Bender? Who would you bet on?
0: Oh, Jackson, for sure. Not even close. Agree. It's Jackson. Uh, He's just,
1: I mean, he showed more last year than Bender showed in two years.
2: That's a a fair call. Uh, We we just discussed George King being on on one two-way deal right now. Who would you give the second to after Vegas? Uh, I'm going to add the caveat. It can't be Shaq or Reed. um, So it could be Peters. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they try and bring Tyler Euless back, maybe Jack Cooley for, for fun. Uh, or is there someone even else that you saw in Vegas? That's not currently on a roster that, uh, you're intrigued by as a two-way option.
0: Suns need a point guard. So the answer is obviously Archie Goodwin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw a bone to Rich and say Alec Peters. I,
1: I do think he, he has a chance to be something cause he's just such a damn good shooter. His,
2: uh, his final game kind of you know his typical final game where he got hot again maybe uh we'll get him back on on the roster but um
1: yeah mirror the dallas game
2: yeah it's interesting king's obviously another wing so i think you both probably made good points it can probably going to be a big shooter or maybe a a project point guard um i'm just going to throw out there i I don't know whether tyler ulis is going to stick anywhere and um yeah, I wonder whether the Suns maybe throw him a bone as a, as a two-way guy. Um, that would be something that I'm going to keep an eye on.
1: My guess would be they're about done. They did. I mean, they don't want to have to cut him again. It's just like it's they got out of it. Booker's fine. I think time to just make a clean break. That's that'd be my guess, but I don't know. Yeah, everything that Max just said for sure. Cool. Okay, I think that's
0: it. Thank you again so much. Kellen, plug anything you want. Go. Uh, Arizona com, empire of the sun's blog and podcast. You can look up the podcast on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcast. I believe it's up on there. And if it's not, it is coming very soon. That's something we've been working on a lot lately. My Twitter is at Kellen Olson. Uh, I'm sure some of you listening already uh, know that anyway, but yeah, you can find me there. I'm very much looking forward to uh, taking a break from basketball for a bit, believe it or not. Uh, love talking about it and love writing about it, obviously, but it's been a very long couple of months here with the draft and everything. And, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not ready to talk about two-way contracts anymore. Let's go <laughs> vacation.
1: It will be nice to exhale a little bit, but David and I aren't going away. We're going to try to keep up a weekly schedule, maybe a bi-weekly if nothing's going on, but we're going to be here. Uh, but for now, thank you all for listening. We very much appreciate it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. As always, I am at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. David is at the 4 Point Play. David, thank you.
2: Thanks, Max, and uh, follow our pod uh, account on twitter as well uh seven s o l pod and thanks very much to Callum for joining us as our first guest very much appreciated Callum. thanks again for having me guys uh,
1: yeah thanks Callum, and thank you all for listening